Psalm 25, my mind this week went back to uh, scenes of parenting as, as my kids were growing up, uh, teaching my kids to uh, ride a bike. You know, there are a lot of scary things that happen that you learn as you, as you grow up as a child. There are a lot of overwhelming things. I don't know if you can remember being small and shorter than everybody and walking around with all these tall people that, you know, like the giants and, and you're just a little tiny something or whatever. And, and one day, one of these giants puts you up on top of this two-wheel thing and says, you're going to learn how to do this. And that can be scary. You know, that can be a hard thing. Um, I remember when we were trying to teach uh, our kids how to ride a bike, they all had their own journey, their own story. Of course, we always started off with the training wheels on the side, but that's not really learning how to ride a bike. You know what I mean? I mean, I, had, I have a couple kids that just wanted to go right from the get, and so the training wheels allowed them to not have to worry about balance or anything like that. They could just take off around the court. But I remember taking the training wheels off, and that's when the fun began. You know what I mean? That's when it was... Find out how out of shape you are exactly, Mark, Cause, right? Because you're running along with them, and, and they're completely trusting you that you're going to keep them upright and not let them fall, and yet they're going faster than your lungs will allow you to go, right? Uh, but, but, you know, trying to keep them and, and teach them, and, and I think what I, I mean, I actually remember one of ours just through sheer determination in one afternoon learned how to ride a bike, just going down a hill in our backyard again and again, falling and then going again and falling until like two hours later, riding a bike around the backyard, you know, no big deal. Um, so they all had their own journeys, but what I remember about that is it was, it's a process that right now I consider pretty simple. I just get on a bike, and no big deal, right? But, it, but the learning process of how to do that was, was a really tough process, intimidating, sometimes heart-wrenching, like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'll ever get this. Also, um, there's that moment when you're learning where, you know, dad has let go of the back and you're rolling along and you come to that moment of decision about, I either have to put my feet down so I don't fall over or I have to pedal so I can keep the speed up. That like moment of decision about which way is this going to go? And that moment requires a certain internal fortitude. Eventually, maybe you got to get to that moment enough times that you start to pedal and you realize that pedaling will help keep you upright. So learning things like this that maybe now seem relatively simple to us were a big challenge for us growing up. And I think sometimes, you know, you think, well, once you learn how to ride a bike, you can learn how to ride a bike, you know how to ride a bike the rest of your life. But I do think there are, there are simple tasks in life that people have to relearn. They go through some trauma or they have some disease or an operation or something like that. And you find them going back to a square one kind of thing that they never thought they would be there again. They have to learn how to walk or they have to learn how to eat again or something like that. Because of what happened in their life, what, what blew them up. And so learning something once doesn't always exempt you from learning it again. And if you think it's relatively simple, the thing that you're supposed to be doing, but yet you find it hard to do, it can be overwhelmingly discouraging to face that. And so you think about people in rehabs who are trying to relearn how to walk, and it just takes, you know, setting aside the big picture of I shouldn't have to do this and it's unfair and just take the next step. That, you know, that's how you get back to the things that you used to know how to do. So we're going to look at Psalm 25 today, and Psalm 25 is really the theme about it is trusting God. So I'm going to say, with all that I just said, let me just ask you this question. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust the Lord? Well, of course I do. 
I know the answer to that question. Ooh, call on me. Yes, yes, I trust the Lord. Of course I trust the Lord. We all know that we are supposed to trust Him. We all know that He is trustworthy, but that's not exactly what I'm asking today. I'm asking about in your life where the rubber meets the road, day in, day out, do you actually trust Him? And I think for some of us, maybe some Somewhere along the way, we found trusting God to be simple, to be easy. We learned how to do it. We caught our balance, and we could ride along pretty easily. But then something happened, and we found it really difficult to trust God. And then we started to think, oh, what a loser I am as a Christian, because this should be so easy. It's just trust. And yet we found it really difficult to get back to the place where we could keep our balance and trust the Lord. Some of you are just starting out in faith. Some of you don't even really know what I'm talking about as far as hard times. You're just kind of like taking steps forward. You don't really know what this trusting God thing is or if you're doing it or if you're not doing it. But you're just starting out and, and, and you're learning. You're at that spot where you've got to figure out that pedaling is going to keep you upright instead of putting your feet down and, and, and catching your balance with your feet. And so... We're going to jump around in this poem, and I really want to simplify it. It's a, it's, a longer po- it's a longer psalm, but I want to simplify it by pulling out three themes. David wrote this as an acrostic. Now, if you're, if you're an English major, you know what an acrostic is. If you're not, it's, it's basically this. Take the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and you start each verse with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic poem. It's a different way of expressing art with words. So thematically, he wasn't as you know, locked into it has to be this theme. He wanted to paint different colors. So be, to represent that, we're going to kind of jump from one chunk to another chunk, uh, trying to pick out what I think are three big uh, things that we can take from it, things we can learn about it. But the whole theme of it is trust, and, and it starts and ends with those themes. So start with me in Psalm 25 at verses 1 to 3, and then we're going to jump down to verses 19 to 22. David says this, "'In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust.'" I trust in you, do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Jump down to verse 19, it says this, See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles. So here we have a psalm, and it starts and it ends with David declaring, I trust in you, God. First thing I want you to see is is simply this, that this is a choice David makes. It is a deliberate action, and it is declared and then He finds his grip on it, but it is a thoughtful, deliberate choice to trust God. Now you say, well, you know, my life is kind of a wreck. I'm, I'm in the middle of a storm and I don't know if I can trust God. What I'm telling you is it is always a choice to trust God. Always a choice. And I will point you to human beings who choose to trust even in like dysfunctionally choose to trust in spite of evidence that's coming at them from this relationship that this is a bad relationship you probably know people like this they continue to trust a person that they shouldn't trust they continue to choose to think well and believe well about this person who has proven to them that they are abusive or they are reckless or that you know what i'm talking about 
So human beings have the capacity to choose to trust regardless of whether it's right to trust or wrong to trust. And I would suggest to you that you can always choose to trust God no matter how it feels, no matter what it looks like. And David says, that's a choice I'm making. But maybe one of the reasons people think sometimes I don't know how to trust God or I don't know if I can trust God is because we misunderstand what it feels like to trust God. We think trusting God is about this placid lake with a a boat out there and, and weeping willows and soft breezes and a little umbrella and everything's, ah, trusting God. But that's not this psalm. And that's not trust. We sang a song this morning about Peter walking out on the water. It wasn't a calm lake when God called him to faith, was it? And David, in this psalm, you can pick that up. There's this uncertainty of his trust. He says, I trust in you, so don't let my enemies win. Don't let me be put to shame. It's like the the question is still out there. It's unsettled. It hasn't quite been resolved. And David is declaring his trust, but it's still kind of up for grabs emotionally for him. And he goes through that. He says, I believe I won't be put to shame, but I'm still going to ask you, please don't let me be put to shame. Well, why are you doubting, David? Why, Why don't you just step into it and believe it all the way? I would suggest to you he is believing it all the way. Even in the midst of the tension between don't let me be put to shame and I won't be put to shame. Matter of fact, the grammar in, the, in verse 2 and verse 3, verse 2 is, please don't let me be put to shame. It expresses a desire, a request even for God. Please don't let that happen. But then in verse 3, the, the grammar changes the, the form of the verb to this confident declaration that I won't be put to shame. You can even see that. You don't have to know Hebrew to see that. You can even see it in the English translation here. Do not let me be put to shame. And then verse 3, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. It's this progression. And I would say to you, that teaches us something. Seldom is the path of true security and deep trust the path that goes like this. I feel safe, therefore I trust. Almost never in your life will the path go like this. I feel safe, therefore I trust. In the word of God and even in this psalm, the path is exactly the opposite. The pattern is, I trust the Lord, therefore I feel safe. Because I choose to trust the Lord, I feel safe. That's not the way we like for it to go, but that's the way we see it again and again. The challenge for each of us is to let faith inform and lead our feelings, not the other way around. Nothing wrong with feelings, but they're a terrible driver. For your life. Put him in the driver's seat and watch, the, watch what happens. You know and I know, train wreck happens, right? So there's nothing wrong with feelings, but feelings are not to be in charge. What you are doing is taking charge of your life, making a choice in your life and saying, I will trust the Lord. And that difference between choosing to trust and feeling trust is repeated at the end because he's like, see how numerous are my enemies, how fiercely they hate me. So please guard my life. And then he says, my hope is in you. So, you know, there's a lot of things that David says there, but what I'm showing you is David trusting God didn't mean he felt like there was no danger. It didn't even mean he felt safe. David trusting God means that he believed he was safe. 
And he was waiting for his feelings to catch up with what he believed. I think for a lot of us, that is the challenge of your walk. That your faith would be the driver of your life. And that you would put your faith and choose where you put your faith so strongly, so surely, so confidently that you would be willing to wait for your feelings to catch up with what you know you believe. Too often, we don't ask ourselves, what do we really believe? We ask ourselves, what do I really feel? And then that defines what's really going on. But if you ask yourself, do I really believe that? And then you let that inform your feelings and you wait for your feelings to catch up with what you genuinely believe. That's, then you're following the pattern that David puts out here. David says, I'm scared. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming to put my hope in you because of what I see around me. But I will believe in you. I will have hope in you. If you're struggling to get here, if the circumstances of your life make this almost feel impossible, or if you're just starting out and don't know exactly how to ride that bike yet, there are some places you can start. And to me, that's what the rest of the psalm is. These are simple things that when faith and trust feel like a million miles away and I don't know how to get back there or I've never done it before and I don't know how to do it, there are some basic choices you can make that can build or restore your trust in the Lord. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you two other things. We're going to jump around for these themes and I want to show you two ways that you can get back to or grow in your trust for God. So start with me in verses 4 and 5. Then we're going to do 8 to 10, and then we're going to do 12 to 14. So verse 4 and 5 says this, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Jump down to verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful to those who keep the demands of His covenant. Then down to verse 12. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear Him. He makes His covenant known to them. Basically, here's what David says. Trusting in God brings me to a place where I want to follow God's way. When we talk about God's way, what we're talking about is that God's will and God's instructions guide your life. That what God says is right is right. And what God says is wrong is wrong. And so I want God to teach me. When I really trust God, I want His way. I'm ready and eager to have His way. And what I'm saying is, if you don't know how to trust God again, if you're feeling far away from trust, here's a place you can start. Start by acting and, and following His way in little things. Start by doing what you know you should do. Start by Leaving aside things you know you shouldn't do. Some of the time, the reason that your trust in God is wrecked is because you've gone your own way and left aside God's way. You started acting like you didn't trust God and your feelings started responding like God wasn't trustworthy or you didn't have the strength to trust Him. So I'm saying maybe the way back is the way you got off. Maybe instead of acting like you don't trust God, start acting like you do trust God. 
And that's kind of what David says. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. Teach me. Why? Because you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. You see that? He says, I want to trust you, and everything around me seems to be closing in, so I'm going to come back to this simple, basic thing. I don't know about the big storm, and I don't know about all that, but I know this. I want you to lead my life. I want you to show me the path. So if I'm struggling to trust him, this is a path that can lead me to deeper trust. Kind of like that Peter walking on the water moment. Step out because he's called you to, and because your faith, your trust will grow. And I'm asking you today, what if your faith isn't growing because you're not willing to step out in trust before it feels safe? What if the level of the trust that you need for the God's calling in your life can't be developed, can't be strengthened, can't be grown by waiting for it to feel right? What if God knows you need to step out in trust and act like you trust Him before it feels like you can trust Him? What about that? And so... Here's that spot. I want to know your way. I'm eager to learn it. I'm eager to hear it. And by the way, when we talk about God's way, some Christians do this thing with God's way. They're like, yeah, I want God's way. But they tune out any like, accountability to God's way. Like, you know, ignorance is bliss kind of thing. Right? So that's not David. David says this, I trust you, and so I am eager to hear what you have to say about this. I am eager to know what you want me to do. I'm not excusing myself. I'm not trying to avoid knowing right from wrong. I'm not rationalizing what I've done. I come before God, my Savior, and I lay it bare. God, is this what you want? What do you show me? Whatever you want, that's what I want to do. Some of us, the reason that life feels so dangerous and so unsafe, the reason we feel so lost and so dark is because we don't do that with God our Savior. God, you show me your way. Here I am, no holds barred, nothing held back, everything is yours, you lead me. And I'm not talking about five years from now, I'm talking about right now, this moment. I will speak when you ask me to speak and I'll be quiet when you ask me to be quiet. I will stand up and I will sit down and I will go out and I will stay home and I will do whatever you ask me to do, God. I want your will to play out in my life. Maybe you're just starting out in faith and that seems like a really big thing. Well, how about this? God says we should be honest. So be honest. God says we shouldn't be greedy. So don't be greedy. God has things to say about morality and God has things to say about helping others. Take them seriously. And I guarantee you, if you start responding in these small steps of obedience, you're going to find that you're on your way to a deeper trust in God than you've ever known before. And it's not because you earned it. It's because you decided and you started acting on what you believe, on what you know is true, and then you're going to allow your feelings to catch up with it. There's another thing that I notice about this before we get on to the other simple thing you can do. And it is it found down here in uh, verse 9. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. This is where a lot of us get tripped up. 
I think probably all of us get tripped up. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. The humble are the ones who are guided. And what I learned from that, what I know from that, and what challenges me about that is you cannot actually deeply trust God and be proud. You can't. You can't put the two of them together. Because what happens in pride is you trust yourself. And in pride, you measure God against what you think and what you feel and what you understand. Humility is the only pathway that will allow us to trust God. Because pride keeps us from trusting Him. And so sometimes, I think some of you have gone down this path, the path to redemption is through overwhelming situations that you can't handle that bring you to a place of humility. That for many of us, we would have never gotten to that place of humility without the crushing circumstances. And so David says, God is faithful to those who keep his demands, to the demands of the law, the demands of his covenant. And maybe, oh, well, that's people who obey. Yeah, it is kind of that way, that there are people who obey. But I, I want you to understand, that it can start to sound like, well, you've earned it, so you should be proud of the fact that God is faithful to you because you kept the commands of his law. But remember what the commands of his law really are. What's at the foundation of the commands of the law in the Old Testament? It's faith and trust. Everything that God asked them to do, you read through Leviticus, you read through Exodus, you read through Deuteronomy, everything God asked them to do was He was asking them to do something by faith. Asking them to obey because they believed God knew better than them. That's what He's asking them to do. As a matter of fact, the whole thing starts with Abraham, and in Genesis it tells us Abraham believed God, and God counted to him for righteousness. The whole thing starts with faith. So David says, those who trust in him, God is faithful to them. Have you found that true in your life? That those who trust him, God shows himself faithful to them. So one way that I show that I trust the Lord, one way that I get back up on the bike and, and, and find my balance again is that I act like I trust the Lord. I do what he says in little things, taking little steps of faith, of obedience, and it builds my trust in the Lord. So the questions that you ask yourself are this. Do I really believe that God knows best? Do I really believe that his way is good? And when I look at my life where I've gone without asking God what he wants, is the pathway of my life a place of rest, peace, security, joy, or is the pathway of my life right now one of turmoil and everybody's kind of in tension with me and I don't know what's coming tomorrow and there's fear? What's the pathway of your life? Because God is faithful to those who trust Him. And so are we content? Are we satisfied with God's way? Are we eager for it? Do we want it? Are we willing to take those small steps of faith? Now, there's one other thing that I think is a big deal, and it's a lot of times the way that we get off track in trusting God. And David kind of weaves this throughout this passage. So go with me to verses 6 and 7, then we'll go to verse 11, then we'll go down to verses 15 to 18. It says this, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of, they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Verse 11, 
For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Go down to verse 15. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me, be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. The other starting place, aside from just simple obedience, is this. What do you do about your mistakes? What do you do about your failures? What do you do about your shame and your guilt and your regrets and your messy, dirty, ugly life? What do you do about that? The theme for some of us in our life is this verse 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways, right? Like, oh Lord, I hope you don't remember. And when we look back on our life and we think about things that we wish we had done differently and, we, and things that we wish were, were not part of our story. But the answer to those things is that trust. I answer the feelings of guilt. I answer the feelings of shame with trust, with a determination to trust God's mercy and love. David says, Lord, remember your great mercy and love. Not normal-sized, supersized, right? Here, remember your great mercy and love. And why does it matter that his love and mercy are great? Because my sin requires great mercy. How about yours? My adoption into his family required great love. And that word love is actually closer to the word loyalty. It is talking about a committed love. It's talking about a devoted father towards his child. Aren't you glad the Lord is committed to loving his children? Aren't you glad that his love sticks and doesn't, you can't shake it off? Aren't you glad for that? So it's a place that informs our trust. The truth for us here is this, trusting in the Lord in all of our lives begins by trusting him with our mess, by trusting him with his great mercy and his love to save me. If you're here today and you haven't come to the place where you've started your relationship with God, you're like, I want to know how to start a relationship with God. Here's how you do it. And all of us who have been believers, we know this because we've experienced it. My sin, my mess has caused a separation between my holy creator and my soul. And that's something I can't go back in time and wipe away. I don't have the power. I don't have the time machine to go back and undo that. So I just have to like live with that load of, of guilt, of shame, of, of, of judgment on me. But God, who's more powerful than I am, whose love is great, whose mercy is great, can wash away my sin, can make my soul completely clean because he paid the price for that forgiveness through Jesus, completely paid the price for your sin. And now he offers that forgiveness to anyone who would receive it. Only God can do that, right? Only God can take your past and your soul that's full of sin and dirt and wash it clean and make you new. Only God can do that, right? But how often do we try to deal with our own mess? How often do we try to clean up our own life? How often do we try to manage our own shame by trying to hide it and make sure nobody finds out about it? by trying to make sure that no fallout comes into my life because of the mistakes I made. Instead of coming to God and trusting Him with it, I live in the guilt, in the shame, in the regret. So start here. Or if your faith has fallen, come back to here. If it's been hard to trust the Lord, maybe the issue is you've let go of believing in His great love 
and mercy for you. Maybe you've never decided to go all in with trusting God with your sin. We said, well, I would, I would, Mark, but my sin is huge. My regret are huge. I've lived with them all my life. I wouldn't even know what to do because they're so huge and they're so unresolvable and I don't know what to do with it. And yet David says in verse 11, for the sake of your name, forgive my iniquity though it is great. Guess what? If you've got a huge problem with messes in your life, he is great enough to forgive. His great love and His great mercy are big enough to deal with it. And by the way, this word for iniquity here, it's like this really big spiritual word, iniquity. It's talking about sins that you meant to do. It's not talking about like, whoops, I tried to do the right thing, but I did, oh, I always mess up. It's talking about sins that you went, you know what? I know it's wrong. I'm doing it anyway. That's iniquity. Anybody got that in your life? Forgive my iniquity, though it is great. It's actually a word for a a branch that is bent that will never be straight except God can straighten it. It's exactly the asking we're talking about. I'm not acting like God's forgiveness is a small thing. I'm not trying to minimize my sin so God can just brush it aside. I'm going to acknowledge how it is that it's a huge request because my iniquity is great. But please do what I can't do because your love and mercy are great. Forgive my sin for the sake of your name, for the sake of your reputation, so that people will know your nature, so that many will be invited to come with this need and find their need met faithfully by a God whose love and mercy is great. And when you don't, David kind of describes it here at the end. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only He will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me, be gracious to me, for... This is the description of somebody who has not trusted God with their sin. Ready? I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress. Why? And take away my sin. What Dave is describing there is someone whose sin is unsettled, who's carrying the weight of their sin, and they are afflicted, and they are troubled, and they are in anguish, and they are lonely. And David says, God, I can't fix it, only you can. Maybe some of the reason that you find it hard to trust God is because shame has crashed in on your life and you've forgotten that He will forgive your iniquity even though it is great. And you need to come back to that because your only hope is the grace of God. And Today what I'm asking you, is that your only hope? And if it is, is it a great hope or a small hope? Is it an overwhelming thing or is it mm, kind of nice? that God would be merciful to you, that God would save those who are unworthy. And ask your soul, do you really believe that He does that? That He has done it for you? The purest way of living by faith is trusting God's promises for your deepest problem, the messes of your life, the shame, the guilt, the regret, trusting Him with that. That's the deepest pathway of faith. And by letting God direct your steps, one step after another. So we're going to close our service. I'm just going to ask you where your trust level is. Do you really trust the Lord in everything? And if you've lost your way or, or life seems really challenging, maybe it's time to go back to the basics. 
back to God. I don't know about tomorrow and the next day. And once I start thinking down that path, it just all turns into a swirl in my head. So all I'm going to do is ask, what should I do right now? What should I do for my next step? I want you to guide my next step. And after I take that step, I want you to guide the step after that. Wherever you are, Wherever it's hard to trust God, this is the invitation today. Trust Him. It is the most unregrettable decision you will ever make. And if you're struggling, the invitation is just get back on the bike and go again. Follow Him in small things, simple and easy to know. And take all of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your regret, all of your dirtiness, and give it to Him. Like David, say to Him, In you, Lord, I put my trust. I pray that every one of us will every single day put our trust fully in the Lord.